Hello, you are listening to Beyond the Briefcase, a law school podcast with Sarah and Meg. This is one of our many interview episodes. In these episodes, we bring a guest to talk about their experiences navigating creative and innovative areas of the legal profession. Listeners, law school application season is upon us. Hopefully, the following episode will help you bring some clarity to your own process and choosing the right law school for you. We are so excited to be introducing our first guest, Hala Omar. She has an undergraduate degree from the University of Toronto in Digital Enterprise Management, a certificate in Media and Communications from Sheridan College, and she is currently a 3L law student at Osgoode Hall Law School. She will be able to speak on her real unfiltered experience at Osgoode Hall Law School. Hi, Hala. Hi, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Let's start with our first question. I mean, very, very simple. What brought you to law school? Oh my gosh, that's like one of the the questions that they always ask in like every legal interview you ever do. And um, I've gotten kind of good at telling a certain story and painting a picture about it, but I'm going to give more of an honest answer this time. Um, I've kind of been interested in law since I was in high school. I took like a law course in grade 11 and grade 12, and I found myself really enjoying it because I felt like it really required a different kind of skill rather than the other classes. I think it was more logical reasoning, more explanation, more public speaking and advocacy. So I, I found myself really attracted to that. And I sort of had law school in mind during my time in undergrad. Um, while, while I did my undergrad at U of T, I sort of experienced a lot of business and, um, I guess, information technology related fields. And during that time, we had to take a mandatory intellectual property course during our second year. So I was exposed to IP and tech law in in a bit of like a more business corporate side. And so my interest in it kind of sprouted from there. And I found myself doing a lot of design jobs during my undergrad part time. And I became really interested in like how the law sort of navigates design and tech and digital enterprises. So that's what brought me to law school. That's an amazing story. Um, so you said that you had some design jobs during your undergraduate degree. Did you work before going into law school or did you kind of go directly after your undergraduate degree? I worked before law school, yeah. I think I had at least like three or four jobs before going to law school. I was always working part-time during my undergrad. And the summer before law school, I did an internship. Um, during my undergrad, I primarily did like work study programs with U of T. So that's like where you do about 15 hours a week of work with some student organization. For my campus, I went to U of T Mississauga. We had um, the Center for Student Engagement. So they essentially provided a work study program for students to get some kind of experience. And I worked as a graphic designer and communications assistant there. I did that for about two, three years. And after that, I started an internship for the summer with the Institute for Canadian Citizenship. And I did that for about four months until law school started. That's great. And you have this certificate at Sheridan. Did you do that in between undergrad and law school? Or um, was that part of undergrad? That was part of my undergraduate program. Yeah, it was it was like one of those deregulated programs where you graduate with a bachelor's degree and a certificate. That's great. How, how was your application process? Um, we have a lot of little follow-up questions to that, but we would love to hear 
um, you know, the kinds of schools you applied to, your LSAT preparation, and what ultimately led you to Osgood Law School? Honestly, I kind of started applying for law school pretty late in the game. Uh, I didn't I didn't even realize that applications were opened at one point. I was just looking things up randomly with a friend because we were talking about what are we going to do after we graduate in, in our fourth year. And I was like, oh, crap, like law school applications are going to be due in November. So I think it's November 1st, if I'm if I'm it wrong. It is November 1st every year. Yeah. So I was like, oh, no, that's like kind of coming up. I was in my third year at that point. I was like at the end of my third year in the summer before third year, before fourth year. And um, I was like, you know what? Why don't I just try to apply? <laughs> because I was like, I, I don't feel too prepared, but I'll just try. I'll study for the LSAT for around um, three months and I'll just do my best. Um, because I didn't really see myself taking a gap year between undergrad and law school. So I, I thought I might as well just kind of take my best shot and see if I get in. If I don't, I can always try again. So I started studying for the LSAT during the summer before the applications were due. And I studied for around three months. Um, I know a lot of people tend to do like prep courses or purchase a lot of books, things like that. But I just use Khan Academy. And (laughs) yeah, we use Khan Academy too. It is a great resource. Yeah, exactly. And free, which honestly was what led me to it. Me too. I was like, I don't really want to be paying like hundreds of dollars to study for the LSAT and then also pay for the LSAT. And also pay (laughs) for law school applications. No, literally. (laughs) Um, So I just used Khan Academy for a while and I found myself kind of improving slowly but surely on it. And um, I took the LSAT in November after I submitted my applications. I, I took it on like November 11th in 2021. And yeah, I did fine. Uh, are we like, do you want me to disclose? You, it's, that's up to Completely you. If you feel to comfortable you. to, yes. then yes. But if not, you don't have to. It's not important. Okay. Well, I'm not sure what percentile I ended up in, but I got like a 160 on the LSAT. And I was like, you know what? That's kind of good enough. I'm not going to try again. <laughs> so I just did it once and I I left it there. And um, at that point, I had already submitted my applications. So um prior to submitting those applications, I worked really hard on making like personal statements kind of stand out. And uh, I applied to almost every school in Ontario, I think, except for the ones that are really far away, uh, far away from the GTA and TMU, because at the time, that was the the first year that TMU had opened. So I didn't know much about it. Um, And yeah. (laughs) And and what drew you to Osgood? What drew you to Osgood? Honestly, I was really just looking for somewhere that was in the GTA. And my options were Osgood, U of T, and TMU. And I hadn't applied to TMU. So I was like, okay, either U of T or Osgood. (laughs) So it was more of like a location thing for me. But once I got accepted to Osgood, I realized, oh, wow, like the school has so many like perks and um, different clinics and these really immersive programs and cool professors. So I actually ended up appreciating Osgood a lot more once I was there. That's great. And it's funny that you mention location because in one of our previous episodes, we highlight the fact that location, at least for us, we find is really a main factor for choosing your law school because in Canada, our law schools are all very good and, and, you know, offer high quality education. And we don't have the same kind of ranking and, and differences as we can see in the U.S. So, 
not having to move far away and the additional expenses that that can cause and different things like that, um, at least for both of us, I think it also played in, in our decision making. Something else too is, you know, if you want to practice around Toronto or in Toronto, if you want to practice in Ontario, if you want to be close to family and friends, everything like that, you know, I think those are all incredibly important considerations to have during the law school application process. Location is very important. I think so too. And I, I really don't want to be away from my family. So I really considered it, especially like when I started hearing back from schools, I was like, maybe I'll hold up from accepting other offers until I hear back from every single school and then I'll make my decision more. So based on location. For sure. And I'm assuming um, having a support system probably helped while you're, you're in law school. So having your family close by, because we all know it is a stressful period and it can be very demanding. So is that something that you find to be true that you experienced? Definitely. I think having a support system, not only your family, but also like your friends that you made during your undergrad or even high school. Like I, I still see my, my friends that I've known for 10 years. And I think having that support system is really underrated. It's, it keeps you grounded and it keeps you from just completely being immersed in law when you probably had way more interests before you went to law school. So it's really important to kind of keep that spark alive. And make sure that law doesn't become your only identity, right? And that you're yeah. able to have other things to talk about, other things to do, because that can also help make it seem not as kind of a pressure on you. Yes. And Hala, speaking of pressure, um, Sarah included this question today, which I think is such an amazing question, because we've all heard this quote before, that in 1L, they scare you to death, in 2L, they work you to death, and in 3L, they bore you to death. So because you are in 3L, I mean, we want to ask you this question. Do you, do you, has this applied for you? Do, you? do you think this is wrong true? Or do you think that um, at your experience at Osgood, uh, specifically being around friends and family, do you think that's um, changed <laughs> this kind of funny saying? Honestly, um, I don't know. I, I think that applies. The first year is definitely the worst. Like, if I could switch up the saying, I'd say they work you to death in first year. And maybe second year, you're, you start getting a bit more scared because that's when you're starting to apply for, like, jobs and things like that. And you're trying to figure yourself out in this industry. So I would switch it around, definitely. <laughs> and so speaking of a bit, the difficulties in one L year, how would you compare your first year of law school to your undergraduate studies? The learning process, uh, how you studied? I think it's different, but depending on, like, I don't want to say what school you went to to undergrad, because I'm sure like all universities in Canada have the same type of workload. But if you were in a major that required a lot of reading, for example, during your undergrad, then moving to law school will be a similar process. Um, I know for me, for example, I didn't do that much reading during undergrad. I did like a very hands-on program. So going to law school and having to read hundreds of pages in the span of a week, for example, I was definitely not used to that. And so I had to figure out a new way to kind of study and um, get around this like new type of system. And luckily I was able to adapt, but I know a lot of people who weren't able to adapt, especially coming from more hands-on undergraduate experiences. That's really good to know because, you know, um, in one of our earlier episodes, we spoke about how it doesn't matter what kind of undergraduate program you come from. It doesn't matter even, you know, whatever, what Canadian school you come from, as long as 
you are really, really passionate in your undergrad and you're ultimately passionate about going to law school. But it does sound like from what you say that like reading is an important element of law school and learning how to read, learn how to how to juggle all of those pages. Um, that's Definitely. The like reading comprehension, especially like um, during my undergrad, I did have to read like a significant amount, but sometimes our projects were like I had a scripting class where I had to do a bit of coding and that's how I was graded. I didn't have to read at all in that course. So it's it's definitely different. And being able to like take on the task of reading comprehension, it was definitely new. And um, I kind of found out a way where I don't need to really read that much and I can still retain some of the important information. So if you guys want me to get into that, I guess I will. Oh, I would say definitely. I would love to hear that, especially as two people going into 1L. I would love for you to spill the beans. Okay, so basically, I'm not sure about you guys are both going to U of T law. Yeah. So I'm not sure if U of T has like a summary database of like course outlines. So I don't know why like law students call them summaries. But um, it's essentially just an outline of all your notes. And sometimes at Osgood, I know they they have a database where students from the courses they that previously took the courses post their data post their summaries online um, in exchange for uh, access to the database basically. So it's like a give and take system. And, um, I know a lot of students at Osgood, especially they tend to use that database instead of maybe like reading the hundreds of pages of their textbook, they'll use the database and they'll look at the notes from previous students to help guide them in their studying and, um, help them to kind of just navigate the course load because it's a lot. It's going to be like, you're going to read a thousand page book if you don't have a summary to kind of navigate you. So I really recommend finding summaries from previous students, whether it be through a database that's facilitated by your school or through connections. That's good to know. And it's basically taking smart shortcuts and keeping it simple, right? Ocam's razor. I think so too. But then also, you know, but then also um, taking good notes and then doing your part in the chain, <laughs> in the chain as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. you've heard it here, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Reading comprehension, super important. Yeah. They're great tips. But then also studying use. smart, studying very smart. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So maybe if you're from a STEM background and you know that English is not your forte, try to take maybe some introductory English cor courses, English literature, something to kind of help build up your reading comprehension since it's going to be so fundamental to the law school program. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. Hala, if you could, and, and, you know, this is what, again, one of those incredibly maybe useless hypothetical questions, would you have done anything um, differently when it, come, when it came to your law school journey at Osgood? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm not sure about other schools, but Osgood has um, an ethical lawyering in the global, uh, I'm not sure what the C stands for, but um, we have an ethical lawyering course, essentially, that we take for the first week of 1L. And I don't know if this is like a scare tactic that they do, but they give you so many readings within that first week that reach up to at least like 200 pages a day. And when you're in your first year, you've, you're in this mindset that like you need to read everything. You need to be caught up and be ready for the next day of class. So um, you don't need to read everything. <laughs> you can I mean, I'm sure now with like language processing AI, if you really wanted to, you can input it into that and ask it to generate you a summary of the reading, but you genuinely do not need to read everything. You can skim things. So I think that's another skill, being able to skim 
large quantities of content and like actually retaining information from it. So um, I guess practice that before going to law school because not everything is important. And a lot of times professors know that and they do it on purpose because being able to skim things is also a skill that lawyers need. Oh, wait, I actually also have another one. Yes, <laughs> of, please. Like, reasons why things I would change I would take OCI the OCI process more seriously um that's like the official Ontario recruitment for summer students summer law students I think I personally didn't take it that seriously for some reason <laughs> I was like oh everyone keeps saying that there's opportunities beyond the OCI um you can probably find a job in different ways and you definitely can but I did not know that people on average tend to apply to around 30 like firms during the OCI process and I did not apply to that many firms. So I really recommend doing your due diligence and talking to seniors about the OCI process and really learning about the landscape before just jumping right into it. I personally did not have those connections. So I recommend getting them. That's actually a good segue into our next question. Since you were, you were mentioning OCIs and the summer jobs that you know law students are looking for, did you... What internship and, and volunteer positions did you have, have throughout law school? And how did you get them? As we can see, probably not through the OCIs since you would have wanted to kind of take it more seriously. But um, is there what is the way that you winded up using? So essentially in first year, um, there is like a mini recruitment that happens during 1L for the summer of 1L. And not everyone tends to participate in it because they only take a handful of students. So I personally didn't participate in it. Um, and I don't necessarily think I regret it because I think it would have added on a lot more stress than necessary. So Osgood instead had this, um, the Osgood summer inter internship program where they basically find you a placement, whether it's underpaid or um, unpaid. And you essentially are doing like an internship for the summer with a organization that's partnering with Osgood. So I did that for my 1L summer and I did it with the Law Commission of Ontario. I worked on a lot of policy work and I helped write a memo with the leading council members of the commission. So that's what I did during my 1L summer. And my position got extended to an RA position for my 2L. So that's what I got up to during 2L. Um, and it's totally manageable. I think a lot of students think you can't have a job while also being in law school, but you definitely can. Um, it just kind of feels like having another course. Um, and that's about it. I didn't really participate in any clinics during my 1L and 2L, but during my 3L, I will be participating in one um, just to kind of get that experience, that law school experience. But that's about it. And for my 2L summer, I applied to um, the Ministry of Health. They had like policy and programs assistant job posting. So I applied for that because I was into policy and I did policy with the Law Commission. So that's what I did. And I also just contacted a lawyer that I knew and asked him if he needed any help. And that's how I got kind of a part-time volunteer position working with the lawyer so that I could get both sides, um, public and private. I would actually love to ask a follow-up question to that because you said you contacted a lawyer. Have you found it to be the case that to get, um, you know, internship and volunteer positions and things like this, um, that networking is, is quite an important feature? It is so important. And it's people don't tell you how important it is, but it is just 
too important, unfortunately, <laughs> because a lot of people have the privilege of growing up with like lawyers in their family, having parents that are lawyers, having so many connections in the industry. And um, if you don't have that, then it's sort of up to you to make your own connections. So at that point, like during my search for a summer job, I was kind of just cold emailing people or sending LinkedIn messages, things like that. And it, it honestly works out and it gets you a long way because these people will remember you. So um, you can always ask for a coffee chat before you directly ask them like, hey, do you need a student <laughs> to work with you? But it, it definitely gets you a long way and it teaches you confidence, I think. And I like that you mentioned the possibility of being able to work during law school, because I know that's something that I asked during my uh, the open houses and the welcome day to see if there were any tips or any advice that students that did work during the program could give, uh, because I knew that that's something that I would have to do just financially, even in 1L. So for anyone else that's kind of in that situation or has a great job offer and is hesitating because they're worried about the workload. Do you have any advice that you would give and maybe about how many hours did you work a week just to see what is manageable and so that they can have a better idea? I think in 1L, I I don't know if I would recommend it uh, unless it's less than like eight hours a week because you're going to be so busy with trying to just get used to the transition on its own and learning this new style of like just managing your courses and this new learning style. So I think um, I don't I don't recommend to refrain from having a job during 1L, but definitely try to control your hours and make sure it's like less than 10 hours a week because at the end of the day, you're still a person. You need your time to relax too. So And if you're going to be taking a full course load, which um, your schools will likely just choose your course load for you, um, I really recommend having that free time to yourself. But I know that not everyone is like privileged enough to be able to do that. So if you must have a job, then try to limit the hours. I really like that answer. And I think as much as, you know, as much as we want to say you don't have to work, you don't need to work. I, I think it actually is really important to talk about the logistics, the, re, the, the realistic and pragmatic logistics of what it would be like to work, because I think that really is a necessity for a lot of law students. And so during your 2L year, when you had that RA position, how many hours did you work? And do you think it was more manageable because you had electives and more flexibility in choosing your courses? Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think so. I, I didn't work too many hours, actually. The maximum that they uh, that the commission allowed students to work was about 15 hours a week, and I never did that many. I think RA rules are the best jobs that you can get while you're in law school because you learn, you work with amazing people who can be references for you, and you're also you have a part-time job. So I think looking out for RA positions is definitely ideal, and it's not too many hours. I think I did maybe five to 10 hours every week, less even sometimes. So it, it was a great job. And definitely that having electives, I guess, on the side did help because seminars are typically lighter load than regular courses. And um, you're only allowed to take two seminars a semester at Osgood. I'm not sure about U of T, but being able to balance that with regular courses really helped. I like that. This question might be a little redundant, but feel free to repeat it anyways, repeat your answer anyways. What would be your number one piece of advice for students applying to, um, wanting to go to, or entering law school? Okay, I think, first of all, make sure you know you really want to go to law school. (laughs) Um, Because the process, although being in law school itself is three years, becoming a lawyer takes like four years, if not more, for some people. So 
make sure that you're ready for that time commitment, I think, and make sure you know what a lawyer does. Um, we all have like a, a big image of what lawyers do because of like media. And half the time, that's not actually what lawyers do. A lot of lawyers aren't litigators. A lot of lawyers are transactional lawyers. A lot of lawyers are consultants. They're not even really lawyers. So it's really important to figure out what a lawyer actually does and ask yourself if you see yourself in that position. And I know a lot of people go into law because of the financial um, idea that they have of it, but it's not as glamorous as you think. And um, especially within a competitive market like the GTA, sometimes going into it only because of finances is not the best idea. Definitely. And we're actually one big part of this podcast is that we want to allow our listeners to get a better idea of what what lawyers do on a day-to-day basis. And so we are going to be bringing in guests that work currently in the field. And we're hoping to kind of break that idea of law is only what you see in shows like Suits or different things like that. And it's a lot more. And hopefully that's going to inspire some people to go into different areas of law, but also set more realistic standards because not everyone's going into corporate law and making, you know, <laughs> a very, very um, high salary. Yes, I, th- I think so. And, and also the kinds of speakers that we hope to bring on to this podcast and get to have conversations with, like you, you know, are, are people who are really creative, really enthusiastic, really interested in going into these unique, singular areas, sectors of law. And I think hopefully, you know, as much as people want to go to Bay Street, as much as people want to go into government, there's plenty, like you said, there's plenty of other kinds of laws and other kinds of um, lawyers that, that you can be very much. There's so. so many. Yeah. I mean, there's a huge industry just for in-house counsel lawyers, um, lawyers who work as consultants at companies, things like that. It's, it's a huge industry. And I mean, I didn't know that like lawyer insurance was a thing before going to law school. You can be a lawyer who works at a lawyer insurance company for lawyers. Wait, (laughs) tell us a little bit about that. What does that mean? (laughs) Like there is a essentially like when you become a lawyer, you get like lawyer insurance. And um, there are lawyers who work at this lawyer insurance company. So (laughs) it's it's a whole system. I I can't explain it that well, honestly. (laughs) No worries. That's interesting. I didn't know that existed. I mean, you hear of insurance for healthcare practitioners in case of malpractice and different things like that. I actually didn't know it extended to lawyers. So fun fact. You can look up law pro. Law Um, pro? Yeah, law pro. Everyone always jokes that once they become lawyers, they're going to be calling law pro all the time (laughs) in case something happens. So you'll you'll probably um, learn about them during your first year. But you know what? Sarah and I are learning about it now because we're doing this podcast. (laughs) That's the purpose for the podcast listeners. Exactly. Yeah, we have a leg up. Law Pro. I'll I'll be looking into it as soon as we're done with our interview. Hala, we have one more um, formal question for you. Uh, What is your plan for when you graduate? And what kind of field of law would you like to practice? Um, My plan for where I graduate, I guess, right now is articling. Um, application season. So um, for those who are listening who might not know what like articling is, you have to article for about 10 months before you can get your license as a lawyer. And you can apply anywhere that's hiring students that follow the LSO regulations. So I applied everywhere, honestly, Um, private practice, but also public and governments and private companies. So honestly, I'm kind of open to anything. But 
my ideal workplace would be somewhere where I am working hands-on with privacy law, tech, tech law, um, intellectual property, and I guess like fun, new, innovative things. I, I really love innovation and um, privacy and these new things like AI. So I really want to work in a fast-paced environment that deals with stuff like that. Amazing. Yeah, that's a, a great answer. I really hope that you're able to get into one of those fields. Um, maybe even do all of them. Let's say if you have in how if you're in house counsel, I know a lot of the times you'd be touching on more than just one area of law. So we definitely hope that you'll be able to get that articling position that you want. And uh, we're really excited for you. I mean, let us know when you get your position and what it is, if you want, of course. I mean, I would love to follow up. Yes, awesome. and of course, I mean, congratulations for, 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 for going through law school. I think that very much we need to issue that congratulations to you. Yeah, exactly. You. You're at the end of the road. You yes. Know, you're you're yeah. finishing up. So it's... Uh... We're at the beginning. We're, we're genuflecting. <laughs> we're prostrating. I know, but like, I'm proud of you guys. You guys made it in and you're starting this new journey. It was probably really hectic to apply. I know that like grade inflation was huge these past few years as well because of COVID. Um, so I'm, I'm proud of you guys as well. Congratulations. <laughs> well, thank you. And we're just so happy that we got to talk to you today. And I think our listeners are going to be uh, super grateful for all of the advice that you were able to give and to really show the real experiences of a law student and, and both the positive and the negative. Uh, because I feel like when, if you try to do just your re research online, oftentimes, at least what I did, all you see is the negative and not mm -hmm. any really constructive advice or anything like that. It's a lot of don't go into law school, you're gonna be oh. overworked and different things like that. So it's nice to have a different point of view because we don't mm -hmm. want anyone to be discouraged by that because of course mm -hmm. it's going to be hard and there's going to be you know some obstacles to overcome but if you have that passion like you said and law is really what you want to pursue then as we can see with you it's definitely worth it yeah I think especially like if you have a passion for I guess public service a lot of people go into law school because they want to help the public right there are so many opportunities to do that in government and in um, clinics or pro bono types of roles. There's so many opportunities to help your communities. And I think sometimes law schools don't, don't really share that as much. Um, a lot of law schools are very corporate oriented and, um, sometimes it doesn't help the people who went into law school with a certain purpose. And I think it's really important to kind of keep your eyes open for that and talk to lawyers who are in a similar place that you want to be in because the community needs legal help. Access to justice is a, huge problem. So anybody who has that dream of going into law school for providing to their community and being of public service, please continue with that dream. Let's end it there with those words. I think that's really, really powerful. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Briefcase. Thank you, Hala, for providing candid and really, really, really helpful insight into the law school experience at Osgood. It's so wonderful to talk to someone who's in the spot that we hope to be in just a few years. And we hope that her advice will help those of you who are still deciding which law school to attend, as well as for prospective students and incoming students. I know it's going to help us. Listeners, we're also really excited to bring to you interviews with lawyers who are advanced in their careers. And so next week, we hope to speak to Charlotte, a lawyer who completed her legal training in Canada and abroad. Please rate, re review, subscribe, share with your friends. 
Check out our Instagram page account details, Sarah. At Beyond the Briefcase Podcast. To keep in touch and up to date with all of our episodes and guest speakers and questions. Thank you, Adam, our wonderful tech producer. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I've been Meg. I've been Sarah. Bye.